This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to our To The Point Podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director at Lipscomb & Pitts in Memphis, Tennessee. And I have with me Stacey Barrow, our ERISA counsel. Hi, Stacey. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. It's been a while. Hopefully it has uneventful for you. Well, it has been a while. And so we've been in uncharted territory for a couple of months now due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, the topic that I wanted to discuss with you today was on the recent IRS relief, because I think that's a pretty big deal for employers. So just a little quick background. For about a month, we know that a lot of carriers have been allowing relaxed eligibility rules such that employees who had previously waived coverage could now join the plan or make election changes without a qualifying life status event, all in an effort to help employers cover their employees' medical needs during this pandemic. And so while this offer was generous, it's made employers nervous because the IRS has remained silent. And so just as a reminder, the IRS is the governing agency over Section 125 cafeteria plans that allows employees to participate um, with pre-tax contributions. And so because of the tax-favored status of a pre-tax election, the IRS has a rule about when employees and dependents can come on and off a plan known as the irrevocability rule. So only when an employee has a specifically allowed life or special enrollment event are they allowed to elect or terminate coverage or add or drop a dependent outside of the open enrollment period? So while the carrier's new flexibility was appreciated, employers have been very hesitant to act on it, not knowing if the IRS would approve or not. But just this week on May 12th, 2020, the IRS finally released official guidance allowing employers to offer extended timeframes and increased flexibility when it comes to changes under their cafeteria plans, flexible spending accounts, and dependent care accounts. Okay, so Stacy, let's start with the mid-year election changes. Can you explain what the new options are? Um, yeah, so you know, basically for the reasons that you mentioned, the IRS has relaxed the irrevocable election rules uh, for the remainder of 2020 for employers who want to avail themselves of this new relief. It's not mandatory. It is voluntary for an employer to adopt, but if they would like, they can allow employees to make certain Section 125 election changes without um, needing a change in status event. And so, um, namely, you may allow an employee who previously waived coverage to enroll in the plan. You can allow an employee to change benefit options from one of your benefit options to another uh, option within your plan. You can also allow an employee to drop coverage as long as they attest that they either will or have already enrolled in other coverage. Those are That's basically um, for health insurance. So I want to reiterate that last point that you made, because we do have employers who are asking if these rules mean that they can just drop coverage altogether, because obviously employees are looking to save money. But what it said, what the IRS said in that notice is that they have to attest that they're going to enroll in some other coverage in order to drop that employer's plan. 
Um, okay, so Stacy, does this impact only medical plans? I've had a couple people ask, like, does dental and vision, you know, have any anything in here um, because they are considered group health plans? So I guess the confusion was, it talks about health plans. Is that group health plans under that wide definition, or is it just medical plans? The the guidance I think was was uh, specific to health coverage, so. With respect to standalone dental or vision plans, they don't really seem to get picked up directly by this guidance. So I'd, I'd be reluctant until we hear further to um, allow dental or vision changes. I think it's just meant mainly for health coverage. Okay. I hadn't seen anything about dental and vision, so I wanted to ask about that. Okay. Let's talk about a couple of hypothetical examples. So with the first one, um, so if an employee waived coverage at open enrollment, what we're saying is that now they can enroll just themselves, they can enroll themselves in their dependents. Is that correct? Just any combination? Um, yeah, that's right. It's, um, you know, an employee who would waived initially can make a new election enroll, enroll eligible family members. Um, the employer can draw lines around you know, basically all of these these new concessions. So if they wanted to, you know, only let people enroll and not drop, for example, um, that would that would be permissible. Okay, that's a good clarifying point. So this is what's allowed. The employer can still decide that they want to do maybe a more abbreviated version of what's allowed or better define this. Yeah, and I think maybe we'll talk about the FSA um, option as well. But, you know, one of the things an employer will probably do is if they're allowing employees to stop their FSA elections, particularly with regard to a health like health FSA election, you'll probably say that you can't reduce your election to below what you've already used for the year so that the employer doesn't get left covering the difference. Of course, you could do that as an employer if you wanted to be more generous, but I suspect most employers are not going to let employees reduce FSA elections below what they've already spent. Sure, that definitely makes sense. Okay. Um, all right, so when employees newly join the plan prospectively, because all of these changes that are allowed are prospective, not retrospective, are they allowed to pay with pre-tax contributions for the remainder of the plan year? And I asked because I had seen something else where, you know, before all this happened, people thought, well, maybe we could make these changes if we do post-tax. So we won't have a qualifying event and they can join, but then we'll just do post-tax the rest of the year. So does this give the green light to not only allow them on without a qualifying event, but to also do it with pre-tax contributions? Yes, exactly. You don't, we, we won't have the need for that after-tax after maneuver um, in order to get the person on the plan and get the contributions made. Okay. Okay. And so you mentioned the time frame, but can you go ahead and repeat that? Yeah. So the, the, these are effective essentially through the end of 2020. You have until the end of 2021 to amend your plan, and it can be amended all the way back to January 1st of 2020. And while the election changes all have to be prospective, this rule is effective back to 1-1 of 2020. And so, for example, this covers those situations that Sarah mentioned 
prior to the guidance being issued. Like if you're an employer and you let an employee avail themselves of a carrier special enrollment event back in March, and you've allowed him to pay pre-tax, that's consistent with this guidance. So even though it was before this guidance, you can still um, avail yourself of it. It still works for you. Okay, great. So um, we talked about how, you know, these are optional for the employer and, and, you know, they can kind of define what they want to offer within these rules, these allowances. But can they can an employer operate on these rules alone or do they also have to verify with their insurance carrier or their TPA that they will work with these new rules as well? Like, does the IRS govern and supersede what the carrier would want to offer? Um, no, the, the IRS guidance doesn't supersede any carrier the term or, um, you know, stop loss requirement. So you do need to work closely with your carrier or TPA, just like if you were extending coverage um, due to furloughs or something, you'd want to make sure that you had some buy-on from your administrators. Um, and, you know, likewise, you have to make sure your FSA vendor can handle it, um, that your insurance company agrees with new enrollments. I, I suspect your vendors will probably be pretty willing to work with you, but um, you, you should do this in conjunction with them. Okay. Okay, so basically then to summarize, you want to make sure first that you talk to your carrier, your stop loss carrier, that they are on board with this. And then you want to decide how as an employer you want to allow this, if you want to, you know, allow fully what the IRS is allowing or if you're going to define it differently. And then you need to go ahead and get a plan amendment done. And as Stacy said, you have until the end of 2021, and it can be retro to January 1, 2020 but an amendment would be required. Okay, so let's move on and talk about the new options available for unused flexible spending account and dependent care account funds. We have been getting a lot of questions on this basically since the beginning of the pandemic and have been hopeful for a while that the IRS would speak up and help out because obviously many people are choosing to postpone medical care, while elective procedures weren't even being allowed for a while. Um, daycares and schools are closed, so there's been less opportunity for employees to use the money that they had set aside for these purposes. And so on May 12, 2020, the IRS also addressed this issue. Health FSAs and de uh, dependent care accounts may also prospectively revoke an election, make a new election, and decrease or increase an existing election without a qualifying life status event. And the notice will also permit employers to allow employees to apply unused funds that are remaining in a health FSA or a DCAP at the end of the plan year or grace period that ends in 2020 to pay or reimburse expenses incurred through December 21st, 20, December 31st, 2020. Um, but Stacey, I'm being asked about these timeframes. Is it the same as what we just talked about with the election changes when this is effective? Is it retro to January, 2020? Um, well, this this is kind of a, uh, a a different type of relief. This is for plan years that end in 2020. So any non-calendar plan year that started in 2019, or even a calendar year 2019 plan that had a grace period that ended in 2020, would also be eligible for this. So it's any 
plan year ending, including a grace period ending in 2020. So if you say had a plan year ending March 31st or June 30th or September 30th, or your grace period ends April 15th or July 15th or October 15th, you can still allow employees through December 31st of 2020 to incur claims. It basically just stretches that time frame over which employees can incur claims, whether it's the plan year or the grace period if the plan has a grace period. Um, okay. So we're only talking about non-calendar year plans then, because obviously calendar year plans end December 31st, 2020. Well, also a calendar year 2019 plan that had a grace period oh, would sure. also, um, you know, be, be available, uh, avail themselves of this. Yeah, but a calendar year 2020 plan, um, not really relevant to this particular provision. Okay, but you bring up a good point. So can you explain the difference between a rollover and a grace period? Sure. So um, you can either have a rollover or a grace period or neither, but generally you can't have a rollover and a grace period. The rollover is the more new feature of FSAs that have been around since about 2014, and they allow a $500 rollover or carryover from year to year versus the grace period, which is a two and a half month grace period at the end of the plan year, which allows the whole entire election to roll over if unused, but only for two and a half months. So employers choose whether they want the grace period or the rollover. And we've seen a lot more employers go to the rollover uh, in recent years. Sure, because it can go beyond the two and a half months, maybe. Um, Okay, so if calendar year plans have the rollover feature, which is now 550, it's it's been increased from the $500. Um, If they have a calendar year plan, can the 550 be rolled over into 2021? Is that a permanent change? Um, Yes, it's going to be permanently um, indexed going forward. Okay. And do you know if a new election for 2021 has to be made in order to have access to the rollover? Or is that like a plan specific feature? That's usually how, how I see it work. But I wasn't sure if that was a requirement or like a plan design feature. It is a plan design feature, but it's kind of a best practice. Um, It's done that way for COBRA purposes. If you require a new election in order to access the rollover, then COBRA will work as it always has for the health FSA in continuation won't extend past the end of the plan year. You know, health FSAs have that shorter COBRA duration. But if you let anyone access the rollover, regardless of whether they made a new election, then you'd also have to extend that to COBRA participants. Okay. Um, so back to some of these questions that we've received on this new information. I had someone ask if employees can revoke their election, if employees who revoke their election can be refunded for any remaining balance. And so they're thinking like contributions, less claims paid. Could an employer who wanted to be very generous make that allowance? Um, Not exactly. You can't refund unused balances on a dollar for dollar basis, but what you could do 
as an example is when at the end of the year when you've you've ascertained how much of a, an experience gain you've you've recognized under the plan meaning how much has been forfeited you can take that pot of money and you can refund it to participants based on their elections it can't be based uh, either directly or indirectly on um, their forfeitures, but it can be prorated based on an election. So as an example, if I elected 2,500 in my FSA and I used it all, and another employee elected 2,500 in their FSA and they forfeited it all, we would both get the same refund because we both elected $2,500. So that's how the refund would, would need to be structured. Okay, but that's not necessarily specific to any of this new information. That's something that could have been an employer practice all along. That's right. But I think this year you may find more employers saying, you know, we have a significantly higher um, experience gain this year. Um, there's, there's probably going to be regions where, you know, you're going to have 80 plus percent of the FSA forfeited. And, and then if, if as a, you know, purely, academic matter, if everyone forfeits their entire balance, the employer can just essentially refund it and and take it into income and tax the employees on it. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, With these FSA allowances, I assume they're optional for employers as well? Yes. So they could design, like you said, when we were talking about the other topic, that they could decide if they wanted to return or if they wanted to allow employees to make an election that was less than original, the original election? Well, they right. Could do that. They, they wouldn't have to allow an employee, say, who elected $2,500 and spent it already to reduce their election or stop their election. They could say you can only reduce it to the extent you haven't overspent the account. So the employer doesn't have to pick up the, the excess. Sure, and that makes sense. Okay, and is an amendment needed for this one? It would be, yes. Um, Any of the relief, um, you know, would need uh, an amendment, um, including uh, extending the, the deadline to incur claims through the end of 2020. Do they have till the end of 2021 to put the amendment in place like they do for the other issue? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, I think this is really helpful. I think this answers a lot of the questions that I've seen um, that I think employers may have in general. So hopefully you found this helpful. If you have a question on this topic or any other topic that you'd like for us to address, feel free to send me an email, Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at lpinsurance.com. And we'd love to work with you. Stacy. thanks so much for unpacking this and breaking it all down. I'm sure we will have more questions soon on another podcast, but I really appreciate you helping me out. My pleasure. Uh, thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks. Have a great day. 